Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, there's a great big convoy heading to Ottawa, but where on earth is Aaron O'Toole? Plus, former Ontario Privacy Commissioner Ann Kavukian on vaccine passports and the surveillance state. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hello and welcome to The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North, Tuesday, January 25th, 2022. Good to have you aboard the program here. I'm not in a transport truck right now, but I am cheering on the convoy from afar. I was listening to that Paul Brandt song, Convoy, on repeat yesterday. I was getting in the mood. I I don't want to play a little bit of it because sometimes YouTube will then just automatically throw the whole episode into some sort of big tech purgatory just because you've used five seconds of a song. So I will tell you to look up the song. Paul Brandt is great. I've interviewed him. I have no idea what he thinks of the convoy making its way across the country right now, but I do know that that convoy is growing and growing, and by the time it rolls into Ottawa on Saturday, I don't know how many people are going to be there. I I know that they've said 50,000. That seems like a lot. I've seen some reports on Twitter that have suggested there are maybe, uh, you know, 70 kilometers worth of trucks that have been rolling through the prairies in the last day and a bit through Alberta and Saskatchewan, but I, I think it's exciting. And here's the problem. There are many problems. What they're protesting is entirely within their right to protest. It's something that everyone should be protesting. Vaccine mandates more broadly, specifically for them, the vaccine mandate that prevents them from being able to cross the border and come back into Canada without being fully vaccinated, if that's something that, for whatever reason, they don't want. But beyond this, we also have the idea that they're taking a stand, and and they've done it in a way that I I find interesting here. Aaron O'Toole has actually joined their message without saying that he wants anything to do with them. Quite the opposite. So a couple of weeks ago, conservative leader Aaron O'Toole said that he opposes the vaccine mandate for truckers. His approach on this has been about the importance of securing supply chains, of fighting against grocery store shelves, all of that. But he hasn't wanted to take up any of these fights in any other context. He's not been waging the war for freedom on vaccine mandates and vaccine passports. He's made some veiled, nondescript uh, attacks against lockdowns, but hasn't really dealt with or engaged in the substance of these things. But when grocery store shelves are at issue, he's saying, yep, I'm with you. I'm opposed to the mandate. So it was odd to see at his press conference yesterday him unwilling to say whether he supports the convoy, let alone whether he will meet with them. I'm not going to play the whole thing. He was asked, I think it was about eight times, in English and in French, what he thinks of the convoy and wouldn't give an answer at all. This is is just one sample of it. And to follow, again, repeat Louis' question, will you meet with them when they come to Ottawa? We've been talking to the Canadian Truckers Alliance, Glenn, for several months. We've seen a crisis in the supply chain coming for several months, and we've proposed policies to try and help alleviate that, the most important of which is vaccines. And we encourage everyone to get vaccinated and to get boosted. And how can we use those tools alongside the other tools to make sure that we don't see shortages on grocery store shelves? Because here's the reality. When there's a shortage of products, The costs go up, and Canadians are already 60% worried about paying their grocery bill. 
So we can't have policies that make that even worse, and we can't raise taxes. So that's what we've been advocating for responsibly the last few months, Glenn, is to try and tackle the supply chain crisis, encourage vaccination, not ignore problems and divide the country like Mr. Trudeau does. He was asked a couple more times and then he was asked, OK, do you will you meet with them at least? And he and he said it's not his place. This is the, the answer he gave to CBC's Travis Danraj on whether he'll meet with them. I assume that you knew that you were going to get questions on the trucker convoy today. It's just strikes me as odd that you don't have a clear position on this. So I'm going to try again. I know that our colleagues, my colleagues have, have tried, but like, why are you unwilling to tell these truckers coming to Ottawa if you stand with them or not? And do you have a position that you will make clear today? Well, Travis, let me be perfectly clear. As I just said in French, uh, it's not for the leader of the opposition or, or political party to, to attend a, 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 protest on the Hill or, or a convoy, it's up to politicians to advocate for solutions in a cost of living crisis, in a supply chain crisis, in a way that's responsible and respectful of the public health crisis we're in. Okay, so he's not saying whether he supports them. Then he says it's not the place of a leader of the opposition to meet with any protesters. Setting aside for a moment that opposition leaders join protests on Parliament Hill historically, they've spoken at them. This is not a novel concept, but nevertheless, he wasn't giving an answer. So we can take from this that he probably does not support the convoy but doesn't want to say it, or he does support the convoy and doesn't want to say it, but I, I think that's a lot less likely. I think that's a lot less likely. And the reason I want to bring this up and, and focus on his words here is because Aaron O'Toole has taken issue with the vaccine mandate for truckers, but he's doing it for the wrong reasons. Now, if you, if you take the Machiavellian approach, well, you know what? The uh, right outcome for the wrong reasons may suit you just fine. And, and in a, a political fashion, yes, I agree with that. If you're looking just at the politics of it, I don't care how people agree with me. As long as they agree with me, that's fine. But if we're talking about building a movement here, and wanting a conservative movement, a small c conservative movement, and a, a leader of that movement. His approach to this issue misses the mark entirely. And the reason I say that is because vaccine mandates are not wrong because they might lead to empty store shelves. They're not wrong because of supply chain issues. They're not wrong because they put truckers out of work. They're wrong because they're wrong. All of these other things are important, but they are incidental to the fundamental question of whether the state has the right to mandate vaccination for anyone, for any job. And the answer to that is no. And, and there are some fixed truths here, some universal moral truths that Aaron O'Toole doesn't want to engage with. Now, again, I don't want the conservative leader to be a moral or political philosopher. I, it's certainly not this conservative leader or anyone else in Canadian politics for that matter. But what I'm saying here is that you can't just take this tiny little subset of this debate and say, yeah, this mandate's wrong because, uh, you know, there's no cauliflower on the shelves. Well, that, I mean, because that, that's saying that if the government were to find a way to put cauliflower on the shelves, the vaccine mandate wouldn't be a problem, which we know isn't the case. 
Now, I do think that the economic dimension of this is the only reason the conservatives are choosing to take up this particular vaccine mandate fight. They're not talking about vaccine mandates for healthcare workers. They're not talking about vaccine mandates for air travelers. They're not talking about vaccine mandate for travelers in general returning home to Canada who want to evade quarantine. None of these issues are factoring into the conservative message on the pandemic. They're only talking about truckers because there is a supply chain component. And I, I mentioned this, I wrote a column in my, my Substack yesterday, which I do hope you will check out, andrewlawton.substack.com. It's not affiliated with True North, but I, I use it to promote a lot of my work and expand on some of the ideas we talk about on this show. The point I made in there is that the conservatives have tried to, instead of being the official opposition, be the official auditors of Canada. They're concerned with pocketbook issues, with economic issues, and anything outside of that they don't want to touch. And it's the biggest delusion of conservatism in Canada that you need to stay in this safe, protected, uh, segregated terrain of just dealing with the economy. It's like taking that old James Carville axiom, it's the economy, stupid, and moving it just past the point of, of relevance because you're only focused on those issues. The economy is important, but in a complex time, people are looking for more than that. This idea, this conservative idea that you have to focus on the economy only works when the economy is the number one issue facing Canadians. And incidentally, in most elections, it probably is. In most elections, taxes, cost of living are probably the most important issues that Canadians have. Even peripheral issues to that, like things like the carbon tax, that's an economic issue. That's a cost of living issue more than it's an environmental issue for most Canadians. Not for Justin Trudeau, but for the average voter and taxpayer. But the last two years has been monumentally different. The number one issue facing Canadians is not an economic issue. It's an entire bundle of issues related to pandemic. There's health, there's economics, and there is also the ongoing assault and the increasing assault on civil liberties. And, and there are certain issues that need to be the hill to die on. Fundamental freedoms are at the very top of that hill. If you don't stand up for those, you're not really standing up for anything of substance. I don't care how low my taxes are. If I live in an unfree society, an unfree country, a country in which the government is the one that apparently retains the right to decide what happens to my body. So right now, these are political problems. The Canadian government didn't cause COVID. The Canadian government didn't cause the pandemic, but the Canadian government has caused its response to the pandemic. So this is a political issue in need of a political solution. Ideally, this would be something that would serve as a welcome mat with, you know, big flashing lights telling Aaron O'Toole, this is your runway, you can land on it. But he's not doing that. And he's not been doing that for most, uh, basically the entirety of his leadership. Because remember, he became the leader of the Conservatives midway through this pandemic in August of 2020. So he's had a year and a half and he has not wanted to take up the biggest challenges facing Canadians. So when I see thousands of truckers, and by the way, more, I mean, I, I don't even want to give a number, but at the time of recording this, it's about $4 million that's been put towards this convoy. 
Thousands of people, you look at the videos, the images, people lining highway overpasses, lining the sides of the highways, cheering on these truckers as they roll by on their way to Ottawa. I, these are not just like these racist, misogynist, anti-vaxxers that Justin Trudeau likes to malign. These are ordinary people that are saying, you know what, these people are speaking for me. And, and how dare the official opposition leader who claims that he agrees with these people. He, he hasn't said he agrees with them, but he claims that his position is the one that has launched them to action. How dare he not oppose? There is a movement right now in Canada that's growing, and it's a movement that in the political context of elected Canadian officials is without a leader, sort of. And, and here's the caveat. And, and by the way, let me just say, I, I'm, I, Maxime Bernier, I know, has been very solid on vaccine mandates. His power is limited given that he is not in public office. And I think he would be the first to admit that. So I don't want to get all the PPC supporters jumping up and down saying, why are you ignoring Maxime Bernier? We've covered at True North, the PPC, I think more than most media outlets in this country have. Uh, certainly among independent media, there have been others, but uh, compared to mainstream, we have spent more time focusing on who they are and what they believe because they're a part of this country. Nevertheless, when we look at the political structures in Canada and elected officials. Aaron O'Toole is, as I said in my newsletter, he's at the side of the road while his base, while the country is getting on the convoy. Now, there have been some MPs that are speaking out. So the Conservative caucus has been fairly tight-lipped in the last year because I, I think O'Toole has tried to crack the whip a little bit, but I, that's breaking away. And I want to point out a couple of examples here. Martin Shields, he is a Bow River MP. He did a video in front of the Centennial Flame on Parliament Hill saying, I'm here in Ottawa. I'm waiting for the convoy. I can't wait for them to get here. That's great. And that was like just half an hour before O'Toole's press conference in which he wouldn't say whether he supported them or not. Andrew Scheer, the former Conservative Party of Canada leader, has talked about how great truckers are and the importance of resisting the mandate. Pierre Polyev has, has said he agrees. And he also tweeted a link to a National Post op-ed talking about the assaults on fundamental freedoms that the lockdown happy, the lockdown mongers have viewed the pandemic as an excuse to put forward. Other MPs as well, Kevin Waugh, who's the uh, Saskatchewan caucus chair, he has said that he's supportive of them. He actually saw them off. I think it was in Saskatoon. And then what happened is he said, I'm going to meet you guys in Ottawa. So he's probably getting at a plane to get ahead of the convoy. But still, you've got conservative MPs that are cheering for this convoy and a conservative leader that won't even say whether he agrees with what it is they're doing. And, and I'm going to put on my political strategist hat. I don't even know if I have a political strategist hat lying around. I think it might be still in the boxes in the next room. But if I had a political strategist hat, I would put it on here and, and say this. What O'Toole is trying to do is get the best of both worlds. He, he's trying to, by saying he opposes the trucker mandate, win over the support of the base, the people like me that are against lockdowns and are against vaccine mandates. But by not saying he supports the convoy, he's trying to win all that support from the media and the center and the left. I'm, I'm moderate. I'm reasonable. Yes, I'm not, I'm not like those people. But when you try to win both sides, you end up alienating both. This is the reality of conservatives that try to walk this line. There's a reason that Aaron O'Toole is not prime minister right now, and it's because it doesn't work. It doesn't work, it's never worked, and it never will work. Because the people on the left are always going to be distrustful. 
That's why he was getting the question, I think, eight times at that press conference. Do you support them? Yes or no. The media wasn't buying that he didn't because the media thinks he supports them anyway. The media thinks that conservatives are the very worst caricature of themselves. The, the media thinks that Aaron O'Toole wants to put on a trucker hat, start singing that Paul Brandt song and leading the convoy himself, get his, uh, you know, AZ license, get in the truck and start leading the convoy. That's what the media thinks Aaron O'Toole secretly wants to do. Now, I think most conservatives probably wish that were the case, but it's not. So unless he comes out and says, I absolutely unequivocally denounce it, the media is going to assume he's basically going to be the grand marshal of the convoy at any given moment here. So that distrust is there. Conversely, the other side is no longer trusting him either. Because people that might have thought he was on side are now hearing him say, well, you know, it's not for, it's not for me. And, uh, you know, again, and, and inflation and uh, vaccines, uh, get vaccinated. Like, again, when you look at him there, it's like, how on earth are, are we seeing? We expected to see a conservative leader. And in that press conference yesterday, I didn't see O'Toole putting forward conservatism or leadership. And this is a tremendous problem for the country right now. Because as I said, you can win over hearts and minds, you can engage in the culture, you can do all that as much as you want. But right now, these are political problems being created by political leaders and thus in need of political solutions from political leaders. And the person most positioned to be offering those, Aaron O'Toole, is not doing it. He's just not. He's just not doing it. And the trucker convoy, I, I mean, obviously it's about truckers. And this is the most imminent pressing example of the vaccine mandate in action. Some of the naysayers on Twitter have tried to say, well, uh, you know, how could they even, uh, even if Canada changed its rules, the U.S. has now put a trucker mandate in, so it's not like they could do their jobs anyway. And, and I think that's besides the point. I, I truly think it is. And, and there are two main reasons for that. Number one is that the U.S. did it after Canada did. And it's entirely possible, like with the border closure, that it was responsive or retaliatory to Canada. Now, the Biden administration has a very different approach to these things than the Trump administration does, obviously. But I, I do think that there's something to be said that that may have been responding because Canada basically said, we're shutting the door to unvaccinated American truckers. And the U.S. probably just said, all right, screw you. The other side of this is that we're not talking anymore about the specific implications of this. We're talking about the bigger picture, or if we're not, we should be. We should be talking about the bigger picture here. Because what is unfolding right now is going to be, by the time it gets to Ottawa on Saturday, much bigger than just the truckers. There are truckers in this that are fully vaccinated, that aren't affected directly. There are truckers in this that aren't even cross-border truckers that are just saying they want to live their lives and not have the government able to intervene, not have the government interested in intervening. And, and this is why, as much as I hate that old Martin Niemöller poem that gets you know, t taken out and used so many times in every context, you know, first they came for the trade unionists, then they came for the so and all of that. There is something to be said about if you don't see where this is headed, you're going to at some point realize that it's too late to do anything about it. And we're in this situation now in Canada. The vaccine mandate for healthcare workers, the vaccine mandate for air and train travelers, the vaccine mandate for public servants, now the vaccine mandate for truckers. At a certain point, there's going to be so few people left 
who have not been subjected to a mandate that there really won't be anyone to stand up for them. So if the trucker mandate is the one that galvanizes support here, that brings people who have previously not spoken out about this on board, as I think it's doing, that's great news. But Aaron O'Toole is not leading on this. And, and it's not just him. I mean, obviously, Justin Trudeau and, and Jagmeet Singh are exactly in lockstep on this, but that's precisely the problem. We've prioritized in the pandemic having a, a unified so-called Team Canada approach, which earlier on might have been important, back when we were still clanging and banging pots and pans for healthcare workers. But now that we're firing people for not being vaccinated, I think it's safe to say that the clanging and banging things for essential workers was all a myth. It was all a charade. Maybe we believed it for five minutes, but we're past that point. So I don't want the unified Team Canada approach if that unified approach is one that is surrendering civil liberties more and more by the day. I don't want political leaders to be unified on that. I want there to be opposition. I want there to be resistance. And if it's not coming from the political class, it has to come from thousands of truckers that do exactly what they can. One truck driving to Ottawa doesn't do anything. Two or three don't do anything. Thousands of trucks, millions of dollars, people lining the streets, that's making an impact. Does it have the ability to change policy? Maybe, maybe not. But it certainly is being noticed. People around the world are talking about this trucker convoy. It's a very quintessentially Canadian protest, which I think is fantastic. So I want to continue to see this grow. And before you fall down the road, because I've already seen it on Twitter, people that point out individual comments made by, the, oh, well, this person said this thing that's controversial. None of that matters. And it's done by people that want to dismantle something that they can't really do on philosophical or ideological grounds. No, no one can say that the vaccine mandate is morally right. So all they can do is say, well, you know, this guy uh, once tweeted something and he's in the convoy, so, so there we go. I, again, I, I'm not interested because the whole point is that it's greater than the sum of its parts. It's bigger than any one person in it. This is a movement. That movement is rolling. And Aaron O'Toole can get in the convoy or stay on the side of the road. He can take the bus. I don't care. But this is where the country is. This is where the conservative base is. And you know what? People should get on board. We've got to take a break. When we come back, more of The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. We are back. This is The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. Obviously, this show has, I don't want to say devolved, because as I mentioned earlier, these are important issues. And I think if political leaders aren't taking them up, certainly we need to in the public sphere and in media, independent media, all of that. But I do want to talk about vaccine mandates and vaccine passports from a different perspective here. We touched last week on what's happening in Europe and this migration towards what a lot of people fear is becoming a surveillance state. It's not just about the segregation of society based on vaccination status, but the implications of having to show that, of having to log that. And this is a discussion that we haven't really had as a country in Canada. Privacy rights in general, I'd say, are not things that seem top of mind on the political agenda. 
So I want to talk about this, and there's no one better than Dr. Anne Kavukian, who was for three terms the Privacy Commissioner in Ontario, and also is the Executive Director of the Global Privacy and Security by Design Centre, and as her Twitter bio says, a lover of privacy and freedom who joins me now. Anne, wonderful to talk to you. Thanks very much for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Andrew. Thank you. You wrote a, a tremendous piece on your Substack uh, back in October that I, I wanted to start off on here because you challenged a presumption I've always had about a lot of the things that I, I've argued for. And I've always viewed freedom as being really that fundamental base unit that you need to live the good life, as they say in, in political theory. But you said that there's something more fundamental to that. You, you argued that privacy is needed to enjoy freedom. And, and I want to get to the vaccine passports and the vaccine mandates, but, but I first wanted to, to set you up to explain what you mean by that. I've always said that privacy forms the foundation of our freedom. You cannot have free and open societies without a solid foundation of privacy, where you, the individual, get to decide what information you choose to disclose and to whom and how it's used. You have to have control over this. So that to me is what freedom is all about. So privacy and freedom go hand in hand. We've often viewed, I think for a lot of people, the big threats against privacy is coming from corporations. Certainly in the last decade or so, big tech censorship, big tech companies like Facebook and Google amassing these huge troves of data about you. We're in a new era now, though. Vaccine passports are, are one of many examples where something that used to be and in a, a distant era would have, or even a not so distant era, would have been your private information, your private choices, is now part of your identity in a way that you must use that to access public sphere, but it's not private corporations that are imposing that, it's government. Oh, I think government is our greatest concern now, quite frankly, because their ability to usurp our information, to tell us what to do and expect us just to accept that, they, in my view, are seeking much greater control and they're getting control. When you look at the, the COVID pandemic, they are scaring people to death. And when people live in a world of, of fear, then they just it just eradicates their lives. They go along with whatever, not because they agree with it, but because they feel they have no choice and they're scared for their lives. Governments are who we have to look after right now in terms of usurping our freedoms. When it comes to privacy, I, I know the five words you've heard that must just make your skin crawl are if you have nothing to hide, dot, dot, dot. And, and at the same time, though, we're, we're seeing this in the vaccine passport discussion. People who say, well, if you're fully vaccinated, what's the big deal? Why do you care so much? And, and I'm having trouble convincing some of those people why they should care about these measures if they're on board with the particular output. They're, they're fully vaccinated. Why should those people still care about these incursions you're talking about? Because it's your full life, your freedom. I mean, just because you're vaccinated, first of all, there are so many myths associated with being vaccinated and the strength of the vaccines. It is appalling. And so don't think for a minute that just because you've been vaccinated, everything is fine. Most of the people appearing in the hospitals now with COVID are fully vaccinated, fully boosted, everything. So, and that, let me go back to that line you started with. Well, if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear, right? Wrong. That could have been the uh, motto of the Stasi police and the Third Reich, because it presumes that the government has a right of access to all your information and you should open up your life to them and give them whatever they want. And that's not what freedom is about. That's not what privacy is about. It is usurping the role of individuals 
and personal control. Privacy is all about personal control over the use and disclosure of your personal information. That's what freedom is about. Government is totally trying to change the narrative to say that, well, what's the problem? Why shouldn't you get the vaccine? We're telling you, you should be doing this. Well, you got nothing to hide, right? Wrong. It has nothing to do with that. Well, this is why I've been so unsettled by people who have been, especially in the UK right now, where they've basically revoked all of their COVID restrictions, people heaping praise on these governments. And I'm unsettled by this because it reinforces that very idea that they were government's freedoms to give and government's freedoms to take away, which we know is not the case. And and I think so many people, especially in Canada, are so beaten down by now about lockdowns and restrictions that they'll be grateful when these things are lifted, at least in some form. I mean, I I had a conversation a little while ago with someone about masks on planes, and I I said, you know, it's something that I fear will be here forever. And they say, well, you know, if that's the only restriction left, then I I can live with it. So people have already accepted this idea that they have to settle for less than we're supposed to have in a free society. But here's what we're not seeing in mainstream media. There is so much opposition to this. Over Mm -hmm. the weekend, there were protests in countries all over the world opposing vaccine mandates, uh, passports, etc. cetera. Um, 100,000 in Brussels. There was a huge one in London, in uh, Dublin. Uh, here in Toronto, on Saturday, there was huge protests and got no coverage whatsoever and all across the country. So people are objecting to this. Many, many people, you're not hearing about it on mainstream media. That's the problem. So do not think that this is being widely accepted and it's fine and we're just going to go along with this. No, we're not. We value our freedom. We value our privacy. We're going to stand up for our personal rights. And when you're talking about vaccine mandates and passports, we're talking about the most sensitive personal information that exists, your personal health information, your medical data. This doesn't belong to anybody in the public. It belongs to you and your physician, whoever you choose to disclose it to. You shouldn't have to be expected to present a passport on this. It is absurd. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, Anne, is this idea of of systems that are being built by governments now that I I think will outlive the pandemic. Your background, obviously, you were the creator of privacy by design. You know very well the idea of specifically building privacy and protection of data into systems. And it strikes me that if that's possible, then government can do the opposite, which is build into systems the premise that there is no privacy, build into systems the idea that our, our data do not belong to us, but belong to the government. And and my fear in this has always been that the vaccine passports we have now, sure, you're vaccinated against COVID, maybe you're boosted, that's fine. But this thing could very easily be applied to flu shots. It could very easily be applied to other things. And, And I don't think a lot of people... In, certainly in mainstream media, and I would say in government as well, are talking about the longer-term implications of, of these systems that are being designed and, and this infrastructure that right now is being created. No, that's right, Andrew. The potential expansion of this to other areas is, is uh, dramatic and very frightening to me because it, it will usurp our freedoms in multiple mm-hmm. areas where the government has no, and, and let's be frank, the government being in control of our information, they have 
a terrible record in terms of securing any of the data, not disclosing it to third parties or unauthorized. It's appalling. The thought of it just makes me quiver. So no, the government does not have a right of greater access. And what we need to do, and our federal privacy commissioner um, has been trying to get the government to upgrade our privacy laws, which were introduced in the early 2000s. Have they done anything? No. This is what is appalling. To rely on the government to have to take care of our privacy and our freedom is not going to happen. We have to stand up. We have to speak out. And so many people are doing this. You're just not hearing it on mainstream media. That's what concerns me so much. I want people to know there is so much opposition to this all around the world globally. Don't give up. Now, when you say early 2000s, just to give a brief summary of the things that have come about since then, digital apps, smartphones, social media platforms, QR codes, all of these are kind of ubiquitous now, and you're saying are not covered by the privacy laws we had, or at least we're not we're not informing the development of those laws. They weren't top of mind. They weren't on our minds at all because they didn't exist back then. We desperately need to strengthen our laws. For the first time, we no longer have essential equivalents with the new law that came into effect in Europe in 2018, the General Data Protection Regulation, the GDPR. Our law is no longer sufficient. So we can no longer exchange and trade and engage in business with the EU without fear of reprisal. And they've said, you've got to upgrade your law. And, you know, Federal Privacy Commissioner Daniel Tellier has been asking the government to do this since 2016, 2017. They've done nothing. It is appalling that we have not moved this forward as we need to. You mentioned Europe. One thing I wanted to ask about is their move, and I don't know how much you've delved into it, but their move into this digital ID that they're trying to put forward and really make this the cornerstone of your identity across European nations. And there was a a Dutch lawyer, I I read a column from last week, that was concerned that the vaccine passport will very easily be swept up into this digital ID. And all of a sudden, we're talking about something that is connected to your banking information, your residency, your employment, your mobility. How real is something like that in a a Canadian context? I'm hoping it's not that real, simply because it takes us forever to do anything. (laughs) Yeah, bureaucracy may be the saving grace on this. (laughs) But I I fear the digitization of identity, digital ID, like they're doing in Europe. Then Europe will go to great lengths to protect it. Uh, with the GDPR, make sure it's not centralized. See, that's part of the the key part. You don't want this data centralized. If your digital ID is centralized, then it can be accessed by multiple third parties, often unknown, unauthorized. You, You may not be aware of it. So you have to take enormous precautions if we go down that route of digital ID, and I don't think we're ready for that. Let's go back to an Ontario context here. You served as the privacy commissioner three terms. I think you're still the the reigning uh, record holder for time you served in in that position. Did you find that the resistance you were getting was from politicians that were fundamentally opposed to these things? Or or was it just from people that didn't think it was a priority or, or didn't think it was all that important? You know, it was with the government, Uh, the political parties, whenever there was a political party, it wasn't the government yet. They were all for privacy, totally for protecting our data, et cetera. Then when they became the government, all that changed. It shifted. They wanted to control data. They want to control over our data. And this is what concerns me enormously, is that governments have this belief that they somehow have to be in control of people's information and decide how it's gonna be structured and everything. And so I am very concerned, uh, especially with our existing governments, I truly am, that this is the direction they're going in. They feel like they've got this pass now with the vaccine 
mandate and passports and they've got all this control and, and people are supporting them because they're terrified. This is what fear, this is the fear that I have. And we have to resist this very strongly. When you talk about a lot of these things, it's easy, or I guess would have been a year ago, to be branded as a conspiracy theorist, although I think find the more of these so-called conspiracies keep coming true in the last year, the, the less likely people are to throw that term around. But you raised an important point there, which is that the pandemic does seem to have provided a convenient opportunity to people that were already to committed to certain dimensions of pandemic policy, specifically just the government control aspect. And I fear that that will be magnified in the future. You know, the pandemic, we're gonna get over the pandemic sooner or later, they're gonna find something else. That is my fear, is that they're now saying, well, Omicron's gonna be around for a long time and it'll be with us. We need to preserve these precautions. We've had the flu for years, for God's sakes, you know? You get the flu, you get over it, or you get it treated or whatever. There are things in existence. We can't raise people's fears so that people have to live in fear all the time. That is no way to live. And I fear that governments, will go that route to strengthen their control. You mentioned earlier, Ann, that the public is very much growing in its resistance to this, and, and that story is not being told in the mainstream media. And I, I would certainly agree with that, but I, I also at the same time remain a bit pessimistic because I have found there are a lot of people that will use that line we were talking about earlier of if you have nothing to hide. A, a lot of people that, generally speaking, have not just welcomed, but in, in some cases invited some of these restrictions. Do you find yourself optimistic or pessimistic generally about where society is and where the culture is on, on these issues? You know, I, I've always been the eternal optimist because you have to be, otherwise life is too depressing. I'm getting very concerned, I must admit, with the direction this is taking and the growth and the idea as well, if you've got nothing to hide. I remember one of the first uh, privacy commissioners of New Zealand, we were at a conference together and he said, if people say that to you, tell them, you know, don't you go to bed with your husband? Don't you have something to do? Don't you have certain things you'd like to keep private for God's sakes? Do you have no life to yourself? There are things in every life that people choose to keep private. It's no one else's business. And when it comes to medical data, that should be right at the top. I fear we're going to have ongoing problems here, but we have to stay strong and vigilant. Please, I urge you, never give up. Well, just on the note of medical data, I know when the government, uh, which basically has been fairly universal across Canada among provinces, moved towards QR codes, so you can no longer even hand over just a piece of paper, you need to have a, a QR code, the government would say, well, you know, we're, we're making sure that none of your other data will be stored on this. And, and I always thought that was missing the point, that the vaccination certificate is itself a piece of data. It is itself a piece of information about your medical choices. And I there does seem to be something missing there, that, it, that it's not about how you implement the program as much as the existence of, of this program and I would say the segregation itself. Yeah, QR codes, please. I mean, why do you have to present a QR code? It is absurd. They are so fearful. They want to retain this data and have it linked with individuals. And when you go to places and, and they ask you for your QR code, they also ask you for ID, driver's license, health data, whatever, with a picture on it. So that can be linked and the potential for tracking your whereabouts, your activities, surveillance mounts dramatically. So where do you think, it, if, if I can try to tap into that optimism you mentioned, where do you think that the biggest 
point is here that we can start breaking down on this because governments have generally been fairly unrepentant and while there have been some slight disagreements in how provinces have handled this liberal conservative NDP they've all basically gone the same direction every province and territory has a vaccine passport not everyone has gone the, the way Quebec has yet by talking about uh, mandating or, or fining but generally speaking we're, we're seeing a, a pretty unified approach on a lot of these measures where, where do you think the best way to break that apart is? I think slowly the lifting of vaccine passports will begin and, and it will take some time. I, I want to be clear. I think what people have to insist upon is that their freedoms are invaluable, that health data associated with your medical conditions, with the choices you make, this should be yours to freely make and not have to display to the world what choices you've made. This is very personal information. And so when I approach people along those lines, that this is health data that should not necessarily have to be shared. If you wanna do, look, I always tell people, I'm not anti-vax, I'm pro-choice. I wanna preserve our choices, preserve our privacy and our freedom. When you take that route, people generally come into agreement. So that's what I'm urging people to do. Yeah, and I would also add to that as well, when these measures are lifted, in, in a lot of cases, governments will conveniently say that they can lift them because they worked. And this is what we've seen at the federal level with hotel quarantine, for example. The federal government was told by its own expert panel it wasn't working and then lifts it and says it's no longer necessary without actually dealing with the underlying issues with. And I, I would say that voters, citizens, have to put some pressure on governments when that happens. When they lift them, don't let them bring them back. The second we get another scare of, oh, you know, a case count here or this variant or whatever the case may be. I, I couldn't agree more, but I also want to remind everyone, you're not seeing it on mainstream media, but there's thousands and tens of thousands of people are posing this. There are massive protests on the weekend, um, not just abroad in Europe, et cetera, in Canada, in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And so people are beginning to object to having to reveal their personal sensitive medical data and share it widely and just accept what the government is telling us. We have to preserve that resistance. I think that's an incredibly important note to end on. And I have to give another plug because that piece you wrote in October is still just as relevant, if not more so today. Rise up. Freedom must prevail. And I think it's very it's been very informative just even for me personally. And the importance to look at privacy and, and freedom is very interlinked. Uh, Anne Kavukian is the executive director of the Global Privacy and Security by Design Center. Uh, thank you so much, Anne. It's a true pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much, Andrew. It's always a pleasure. And Kabuki. Wow, that I'm she I already know she's gonna be a guest that all of you are asking for me to invite back. And she's welcome on any time. I spoke to her a couple of times on my old radio show that I did for a, a company that, that won't be named right now. And she was a, a tremendous guest. And I think increasingly I've just been retweeting her. She's been retweeting me. And I was reading her column. She doesn't write a lot on her substack, but when she does, it's always a winner. And I knew I had to get her on. And I am glad I did. That was a mic drop moment or a few mic drop moments, as a matter of fact. And with that, I'm going to drop the mic now, not as dramatically. We've got to end things there but we will be back in a couple days time with more of canada's most irreverent talk show this is the andrew lawton show on true north thank you god bless and good day thanks for listening to the andrew lawton show support the program by donating to true north at www.tnc.news